Hello. I love Life's Group. <laughs> what do I love about Life Group? What do I love about Life Group? Why do I love my Life Group? I'm gonna let her talk, okay? Can I go first? Okay. We love the relationships that we've built over the last few years. And we get to see God work in them. I love my Life Group because um, I have found my second family here. I love Life Groups because of the friendships. I love Life Group because it got me out of my comfort zone. God definitely knew that I needed to find a community here. Community! My Life Group, it's its this big family and it just, it's constantly growing and, and we always find ways to make, make each other feel at home. I love Life Group because of the sisters that I got through it. We all love each other and it could only be God. Hi. I love Life Groups because it has allowed me to become a better Christian, a better woman, a better wife, a better person. The women of my group, um, they're my prayer warriors, they're my strength. Call them or text them and they're there for me. It makes church a lot more personable and when you come to church, you don't feel like a stranger. You feel like you're among friends. I love my group because we support each other. We're always there for each other. The fellowship, the laughs, the love, the food. <laughs> <laughs> I like our life group because it's a safe place to be real. What I love about life group is enjoying life together. I love um, the fact that the church brought us together as a life group and that God has made us a family. We found a group of people that love um, my, our big family because there are six of us. And the food's really good. We love our life group because it just added not only friends but another family to our life. And they're a blast. We couldn't have asked for a better group. We love life group! We're beginning a new series, and we'll be on this subject all month long. We've entitled this series, Grow Together. And we're going to ask the Lord for every one of us to help us, to guide us, and strengthening, strengthen us in growing together. Now, there are two basic categories we probably put believers, Christ followers in. There's that category of Christ follower that seems like Everything they do, they're just going from one accomplishment to the next accomplishment. God answers their prayers. They have a promise and they see that promise come through. They hit a struggle or a difficult time in their life. They pray, they agree with others, and it's somehow they just overcome. And they've always got a story of what God's done and what God's doing, and it's always a good report. They're kind of the poster child of Christ followers. Now, in contrast to that, there's another category of Christ follower. These are the ones that struggle, kind of the ebb and flow of spiritual life. They try hard, they pray hard, but they hit a roadblock and it seems like prayers are not answered. It seems like that there's no breakthrough that comes and they struggle in the, in kind of the vicissitudes, the, 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 the trenches of life. One feels like a poster child. One feels like they need to be on the wanted poster, kind of, so to speak. And there's such a contrast in that. And the believers on this end of the spectrum, they kind of live a conundrum. Why is it, why is it God promises stuff, but I don't see it and I don't realize it? Why is it that he, she, God answers their prayer? Why is it God does good things for them, but God doesn't seem to do good things in my life? And they, they stay in that state long enough, and inevitably, they begin to question God's love. Well, 
well, then maybe God doesn't love me as much as he loves them. Maybe I'm just not good enough. Maybe there's something wrong with me. God loves them, but God's not doing something good in my life. Maybe God doesn't love me as much. And what will happen is they, they get in what I'm going to call the doubt chair. If you ever sit in the doubt chair, you become fluent in the language of can't and won't. Oh, that can't work for me. That won't work for me. I can't become that. I won't be able to, I won't be able to pull that off. It won't come through to me. That, 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 that can't happen in my life. Can't and won't becomes the, the mantra, if you please, of those who sit in the, the doubt chair. I doubt I, I can never make it happen. Why even try? God doesn't love me enough to make it happen. And if you stay in the doubt chair long enough, you're susceptible to a false idea. And I want to suggest that many of us in this room have bought into a false idea, and it's this. If God really wanted me to have it, he'd make it happen. There are many of us that we're saying that in our life right now. It's a false belief, a false idea. It kind of sounds right. It almost sounds like you're recognizing the sovereignty of God. God's sovereign, he can do anything. And we buy into this idea, well, if God really wanted me to have it, he'd make it happen. And so it's not happening. We end up in the doubt chair. And then every promise and every prospect, every opportunity, I doubt it will happen. Why even try? Why even accomplish that? Because if God wanted me to have it, he'd make it happen. That's, that idea is like saying, if God really wanted me to finish my degree, he'd send me a scholarship that pays all the bills and there'd be no entrance exam. If, if God really wanted me to lose weight, he wouldn't make flour tortillas so delicious. And I mean, God made them that way. God made them that way, so, and, and he gave me a desire to eat them, so it must be the will of God that I eat those flour tortillas. And didn't Jesus say, man shall not live by bread alone, so I need to put carne gasada in that tortilla and, 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 and chili and cheese and, and ke more queso on top of that. And we kind of get in this idea that if God doesn't make it happen, it it's not meant to be. Kind of like the guy that was driving to work. Driving to work, and on his way to work, there was a bakery. And he loved donuts, loved donuts. And he was driving to work one day. He said, God, if you want me to have donuts, if you want me to have donuts, when I drive by the bakery, if you will provide a parking spot right in front of the door, I will take that as a sign from you that I am to have donuts. And sure enough, the fourth time around the block, there was an open parking spot there, and God confirmed it. He was to have donuts. We think like that, don't we? That God is to be in charge of everything, and he makes it happen or don't happen. And I want to tell you, that's a false idea. And if you buy into that false idea, you will always end up in the doubt chair. I doubt it will work because it hasn't 
It never worked in the past. And why should I expect God to do it in my life right now? Well, God has something different. There's many of us, we're in a place, we're in a state, we're in a condition, and we're there because we're expecting God to do it. Now, there are two ways that God works in our lives, primarily two ways. One way God works, God works by miracles. Yes, he does. You have a right and the privilege as a believer in Christ to ask God to do a miracle. Miracles are supernatural interventions of God that God steps in your life, your condition, your surroundings. And against all circumstances, against all expectation, God goes against the grain and God does something supernatural and miraculous. God opens a door that should have never been opened. Your resume should have never been considered. God opens the door and he exponentially advances you. God touches you physically. When the doctor says it's, it's positive and they come back and say, oh, we must have got it wrong. The lab results were wrong. It's really negative. God just intervenes. Miracles. I was praying with a couple here in the altar just in this service. And we had prayed a few months back. And there was praying, God, just let us have a baby. And they were just asking, Lord, because they've been unable to get pregnant. And they came down to the altar today and said pastor we're expecting a baby God is just against all expectations of what the doctor said God is going to give us a baby amen miracles miracles do happen that's one way God works there's another way that God works in our life God works by growth God works by growth growth is a is a process a process where God accomplishes his purpose in our life it's a daily step-by-step obedience following God. And here's what I want us to focus in on. If God is not giving it to you by miracle, God intends to give it to you by growth. More often than not, we always want it by miracle. Nothing wrong with praying for a miracle. Believe it. But if you have a promise, if there is something God's put in your heart and it's not happening by miracle... God intends for us to get there by growth. And for those that put it all in God's hands, you'll get into the doubt chair. Well, if God wanted it to happen, it would have happened. God intends to take us to something better, and sometimes his path is growth. And the message title this weekend is, It's Good to Grow. It's good to grow. That's one of the core values at Westover. That's one of the things that we try to embed in all that we do here and the value we want to impart to you. Why we, why we have so many ministries that do what they do because we believe it's good to grow because growth takes us on the pathway to God's purpose. In fact, I will tell us, the will of God is spelled G-R-O-W, grow. If God does not put you in his will by miracle, his purpose is to get you in his will by growth and every one of us are candidates for God's favor God's blessings God's best and the pathway is it's good to grow with that in mind I invite you to join me in the New Testament the book of Ephesians and throughout this month we're going to park on two verses we're going to unpack these verses and let them teach us what God is saying to us about growing together. 
verse 15 and 16 of Ephesians chapter number 4. We're going to pick it up. And in these two verses, I want you to notice how many times the word grow or growing occurs. Let's read verse 15. Growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Today in this message, I'm going to focus on one phrase there in verse number 15. And growing in every way more and more. It kind of sounds a little redundant. Growing in every way more and more. Not in one way, but in every way more and more. Can I tell you from Ephesians 4 and 15, God invented multitasking. Yeah. Grow in every way, not just one way. God expects us and intends for us to grow in self-confidence. But God also intends for us at the same time to grow in good judgment. God intends for us to grow at the same time in having a productive career. God intends at the same time for us to be emotionally healthy. God intends for us to grow in every way. Multitasking in every way. The Holy Spirit enables us through this spiritual growth process to accomplish what God has for us and what God intends for us. God wants you and I to grow. But instead of multitasking, some of us are multi-slacking. We're kind of saying, well, you know, if God wanted it to be, it would happen. Well, I'm not really sure. I'm not, uh, not sure if I'm up to that. Isn't it interesting? We will grow psychologically. We get, we get better and more healthy mentally and emotionally. We'll, we'll work on our career. We'll advance in our career. We will, we will get degree after degree. We will even work physically. Going to the gym, you know, trying to stay healthy, eat healthy. We, in every sphere, we recognize we need to become better and grow until it comes to the spiritual. And somehow we say, well, if God wanted me to have it, he'd make it happen. The scripture is saying God intends for us to grow more and more in every way. To what? Become more like Christ. Did you catch that phrase? More like Christ. We use the phrase sometimes Christ-likeness. The, the Bible here says more like Christ. More like Jesus. The, the name Jesus, God intends for it to be both a noun and a verb in our life. Not either or, but both. First off, Jesus is a noun. He's a person. He's the Savior of the world. Jesus is our Redeemer. Jesus is our Savior. We invite Jesus, the noun, the person. Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Jesus is a noun. But once you've had that making new experience, you found Christ as your Savior, the next step is for Jesus to become a verb in our life, for us to live out 
And our attitude, our actions, our dispositions, our priorities, everything we do, that Jesus becomes a verb. Jesus wants to be so embedded and so ingrained in everything we are and who we are. We're living out the Christ-likeness. Not just saying, I know Jesus, but Jesus is involved and Jesus is a part of everything I am. Again, 2 Thessalonians Chapter 1, verse number 3. Listen to this. Your faith is growing more and more, and the love for all, for all you have for one another is increasing. There it is. God intends in every aspect, in every aspect, our career, our family, mentally, in every aspect, intellectually, God wants to maximize our life. A thriving relationship with God, which is a growing relationship with God. A thriving relationship with Jesus increases our effectiveness in life. That's what God intends. To grow in every way more and more. In every way more and more. That if we have Jesus in our life, he's both the noun and the verb, and that Christ-likeness is being expressed in every aspect of our life, growing more and more like Jesus. And spiritual growth, there are some requirements. And we're going to be talking about that all month long. And I'm asking the Holy Spirit to impress upon every Westover person a step, a a next step in your life. The Holy Spirit this month is going to talk to you about something you can and need to do and your spiritual development. There's been miracles in your life, but God is saying there is a growth moment, and it's good to grow. And there are spiritual requirements in order to grow, and I want to share some with you today. The first one I want to share with you, in order to grow spiritually, it requires believing correctly. Believing correctly. And when I was preparing this, I I, I wrote down believing and then I pondered that and I savored on that. And I, I worked that over in my spirit time and time again. And I kept coming back. Is there's something I need to add to that? Because everybody today says, oh, I believe. You have a coworker, They say they're a believer. They never open the Bible, but they're a believer. You have people that, that frequent clubs and have lifestyles that are completely uh, incompatible with Scripture. But they say they're a believer. So as I prepare this, here's what I put down. Believing correctly. It's important to believe correctly. If we believe the wrong thing, we don't get the results God intends. If we believe God, if God wants me to have it, he'll just make it happen. You'll end up in the doubt chair. And your song will be can't and won't. God has something different for us. If we believe correctly. In the Gospel of John, chapter number 5, there is an account of a man that's healed in in the city of Jerusalem at a place called the Pool of Bethesda. Now, those who are going to the Holy Land with us in March, we're going to take you there. They've excavated the Pool of Bethesda, and we're going to actually visit that site, and I'll do a teaching from John, chapter 5, at that moment. The Pool of Bethesda is a place where there was a natural spring, and they created a pool, They put steps around it, 
and there was this big, large pool area that was fed by spring water. And people would go down there to wash, would go down there for cleansing purposes. And because it was spring-fed, sometimes as the water came up, it would bubble to the surface. And then all of a sudden, they would just see spontaneously water or bubbles coming up out of the water and rippling. And they were watching it one day, and somebody said, well, that must be a that must be an angel. No one was in the water and the water just of its own volition, just spontaneously, there was a disturbance in the water. Somebody said, I bet it's an angel. And then somebody else chimed in, yeah, I believe it's an angel. And guess what? I believe if you're the first one in the water when the angel is there, God will touch you, heal you, and do something in your life. So that became the tradition. People, sick people came to the pool of Bethesda, and they would sit along the edge waiting for the disturbing of the water because they believed that it was by an angel, and if you got in first, God would heal you. Well, that was incorrect. They were believing the wrong thing. Why? Because nowhere in the Bible does God have a lottery system. There's no place in the Bible where it says God will only do it for one person one time who's at the head of the line. And everybody else you're left out. Can I tell you, it doesn't matter whether you're the head of the line, second in the line, or at the end of the line. God wants to work in your life. There is no lottery system and there is no first place and second place with God. God wants to work in everybody's life but this man. This man at the pool of Bethesda, he sat in the doubt chair. He's in the doubt chair. If God wanted it to happen and he wanted me to be healed, he'd make it happen. Jesus comes by and he says, do you want to be whole? Do you want to be healed? And he says to Jesus, I can't do that, Jesus. You know, the, every time the angel comes down and the water is disturbed, I don't have anybody. I'm crippled. I can't get in first. I'm always second, third, fourth, or fifth. I'm left out, so it can never happen for me. Remember in the doubt chair, you're going to speak can't and won't. And Jesus said to the man, if you want to be healed, get out of the doubt chair. It's time to get out of the doubt chair because God can work in your life and do it now. You see, believing correctly can change everything. And some of us, we believe the wrong thing. There are people in this room, you have a false belief. One of your false beliefs may be, you know what? God only helps those who help themselves. You ever heard that? That's not in the Bible. Can I tell you, there are times you can't help yourself. There's times you can't do it yourself, and God will help you. But because of that, you're sitting in the doubt chair. There's some... There's some that you were raised or exposed to an abusive situation. And because of that, you think you deserve the abuse. You say, that's all I'm good for. Ah, I'm not good enough for that. This is the way it's meant to be. If God wanted me to have a different life, God would make it happen. But I'm stuck in this, in this physically abusive relationship. That's not God's will. That's not God's purpose, but because of a false belief, 
you continue to allow yourself to be the victim of something God never intended you to be victimized by. I've watched, I've watched ladies get hurt in a broken relationship and divorce and come out and say, you can't trust men. All men cheat. And they pull themselves into a shell. And they pull away and they're distrusting and guarded. There's no use trusting anyone. And because of a false belief that has put you in a in a place of isolation and guarded and you put a firewall of rejection to everyone around you. That's not where God intends. You see, having the right belief can change your life and the wrong belief can imprison us behind uh, experiences in prison, emotional prison bars that God never intended. And I, I'm here to encourage you today. God has something for you. And you can believe correctly, God can set you free and God can do something in your life. But if you're going to grow spiritually, you've got to have right, correct believing in order to make that happen. For just a moment, can I talk to millennials? Can I talk to millennials? Today, millennials, the, the popular thing is to say that the Bible is one source that God speaks. And I know you're hearing this taught and preached by some. The Bible is is one source. No, the Bible is the source. And you're being told that there are other sources and there are other documents and there are other records that are just as good as the Bible. And the Bible is, for some of us, is like a menu. We just, we pick like a menu. I'll, I'll order some of this and I'll, I'll take some of that. No, I'm really not in the mood for this, this, and this but I'll take some of this. Let me share to you what Scripture says. Here's what the Bible uh, teaches us concerning Scripture. 1 Peter 1 and 20. The main thing to keep in mind here is that no Scripture is a matter of private opinion. And why not? Because it's not something concocted by the human heart. We have no right to say, well, that's all right for you, but it's not all right for me. I have a different belief. Now, if you want to believe that verse and follow that verse, that's all right for you. But God's given me permission and God's given me peace to just follow the verses that I like and agree with me. No. The Bible says when it comes to this book, it's not a menu. It's not a menu. You believe it all. You follow it all. And Scripture is not up for private, personal interpretation. We must follow what the Bible teaches. We must believe correctly. There's a, a popular teaching in the last couple of decades in the American church that's called universalism. Universalism is basically this. Let me give you a shortened, uh, a shortened definition. Universalism teaches that everybody, no matter what you believe, it's all right. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, fine, you'll get to heaven on that. But if you believe self-help and doing it on your own or, or Eastern mysticism is your means to salvation, that's all right. You can follow that pathway and you can get into heaven that way. It goes on to say even those who are atheists and don't believe in God, 
when they stand before the judgment seat of God, they're going to say, I believe now. And God say, okay, come on in then. Just come on in. It doesn't matter what you believe under universalism. Everybody gets to the same place. It's kind of like this idea. It's like going to the car dealership. One guy walks in and said, I want a new car. I'll pay full price. He gets a new car and he drives off. The next guy comes and says, I want to pay half price. The dealership says, fine, you decide how much you want to pay. You want to pay half price? Fine, you pay it. Here's the keys. Here's the title. You drive off. The third person comes and says, I don't want to pay any price. I want it free, but I want a new car. And the car dealership says, here's the key and here's the title. It doesn't happen that way. And it doesn't happen that way with God. You have to believe correctly, believe correctly in order to grow. God has principles and precepts. God has truth that if we follow them, it takes us to the path of growth. Number two to share with you, not only believing correctly, but belonging meaningfully. Belonging meaningfully. Why did I put this in? Because there's a somewhat of a sentiment. You ever hear this question, do you have to go to church to go to heaven? Oh, I get that all the time as a pastor. Oh, I, I get that in the hallway. I, I, I get that from time to time in the church. Sometimes people out in the, in the community, I, I pastor a church. Well, you don't have to go to church to go to heaven. I, I hear that. That's, that if there's one theology Non-church people know. They know that theology there. And I'll be asked the question sometime. They're setting me up. Now, now, does the Bible teach that you have to go to church in order to go to heaven? I'll answer that right now. Absolutely not. You see, salvation is in Jesus. It's not in the church. I don't, I don't have a franchise on it, and the assemblies of God do not have a franchise on it. If you want to go to heaven, you get there because of Jesus. Jesus hung on the cross, and only Jesus forgives, and only Jesus saves. Only Jesus redeems us from our, our mistakes, our penalty, and our sins. To get into heaven, it requires Jesus and Jesus only. And because people will hear us say, well, you don't have to go to church to go to heaven, here's what they say, church is not important and church is optional. No, that's not what the Bible says. Well, you just told me I don't have to go to church to go to heaven. We're not talking about going to heaven now. We're not talking about just going to heaven. Let's go back here in Scripture. Become more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. Now we're talking about growing. If you're going to grow, you're going to have to be in church. You have to belong meaningfully. You have to belong meaningfully. If you want to grow in Jesus, if you want to be Christ-like in your attitude, in your spirit, can I tell you, the Bible says, and life has proved it, we won't be able to do it on our own. We must grow together. We must be a part of a body of believers that we're strengthening one another and growing together. And there are categories, there are categories of church people. And as I go through some of them, it's certainly not extensive, it's not including everyone, I'm going to ask you, which category are you in? Which category are you in? And I'm going to put before you the challenge before this year ends that you take the steps 
to move one category further. One step further. Now, one category of, of church attenders, I'm going to call them the avoiders. There's some people that avoid church at all costs and anything. Some of you may be an avoider today. For some of you, the only reason you're in church today, you were threatened. Your wife said, if you don't go to church, you're getting no supper, and I'm going to unplug that football uh, uh, remote for the rest of this week. So you under protest, you came to church, the avoiders. Yeah, there's always a few avoiders. Then there are visitors. We greeted our visitors just a moment ago, and I extend to you again as you exit. Stop by one of our connection centers. We want to connect with you and help you and, and just be an encouragement to you and extend our heart to you. So there are visitors. Beyond the visitors, there's what I'm going to call the, the occasional attenders. Occasionally. They come occasionally. Maybe work schedule or busyness or just priorities. They come at this event and they'll come at that event. They're just occasional church people then there there are the attenders many of us are in that we attend church you're you're an attender you come regularly we thank god that you come we thank god that you're here and then they're the what i'm going to call the unconnected regulars they're kind of in that group of attenders they're the unconnected regulars. Some of you are the unconnected regulars. You come so frequently, you have your spot. Okay? There's a place you want to sit. And if anybody sits in that spot, it really doesn't go well in your spirit, okay? <laughs> this is the, this, the, the uh, person that walks in and somebody's sitting in their spot and they stop and stare at them a moment. And just kind of send them a, a, a hint or a silent message. And the person you're looking at is saying to his wife, you know what, that person I think recognized it. He looked at us for some time there. I wonder, do we know him? Was, was that our insurance guy? Was, uh, who, who is that? Because you're the unconnected regular. And then there's the almost connected. You've been coming God's done something in your life. God's working in your life, and you're almost connected. You come regularly, and you say to yourself, you know what, after I finish the course, after I finish this school, after, after I get the kids out of diapers, af after the summer, after Christmas, after this, after that, after we get, there's always been, a you're almost connected, but inevitably something comes, and it kind of busies your life, and you're the almost connected and then there of course the the connected these are the people you're a part of a ministry and you're part of a life group and throughout this month we're going to call people the almost connected the attender the occasionally attender even the visitor find a place to connect why because god intends for us to grow together in every way, more and more. 
We're going to invite you to get connected, to be a part of a life group. What is the life group? A life group is a community of believers that meets once or twice a month. Sometimes they meet at a coffee shop, sometimes in a home and a, and a different location. Sometimes they, they even uh, uh, take turns. We'll meet at your apartment this month and we'll meet at this home next month. And they meet together from 6 to 12, maybe to 16 people. And they pray together, they share together. And when somebody's going through something, they're texting and praying for one another. When there's a celebration, they're all celebrating. For example, Denise and I host a life group in our home once a month and we're right now celebrating one of the people in our life group they just had a the their son had a had a had a baby and they have a new grandbaby and oh my goodness you give a grandparent a new grandbaby and i tell you what it's a moment of celebration so we're celebrating that that we're doing life together and we're sharing and imparting and encouraging one another god wants you to be encouraged for as you see, Jesus said that he takes the church, the body of Christ, and that they're fit together. They belong together so that the body is causing the other part of the body to grow and being encouraged and increasing in love. How does that happen? You have to be connected in life group, and that's what we want for you. And there's another area. That's the core. What's the core? The core these are the people that Westover could not function and would not be here without the core. These are the people that just that go the extra mile. These are the ushers that served just a moment ago and the greeters when you came in. They're the worship team that was on the platform just a moment ago. They're with kids ministry right now. They're with student ministry, hundreds of teenagers in our student center right now. These are the people that are coaches for the sports outreach ministry we have. These are the people that just say, I'm willing to be used. I, I'm willing to host. I'm willing to lead a life group. They're the core people that without the core people, people there would be no west over there there wouldn't be a church that's fruitful that we enjoy right now so here it is where are you at are you almost connected it's time to get connected if you're an occasional attender could you become a regular attender yes if you're if you're connected and I believe there are several that are connected in life group. They're connected right now. You're a part. You belong here. There's meaningful belonging. I think God is speaking to many of our connected to become a part of our core. How about stepping into leadership and leading a life group? Leading the ministry. Stepping forward and letting God use you to touch and impact others for Jesus. Wherever you're at. God has a next step. In fact, next weekend, next Sunday, 9 to noon, we have this twice a month is our next step class. One class you attend, our next step class, and in that class, you take the next step. We facilitate and give you a pathway. So I burden your heart. Get ready for the Holy Spirit to speak and prompt you it's time to get connected and grow together. With that in mind, would you stand together with me for closing prayer? Please join me. Thank you.
Thank you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the privilege of pastoring such a wonderful group of people from all different backgrounds, perspectives, and you've united us together under, under the banner of the body of Christ. And Westover is a part of that. And we thank you for those who, who are part of Westover, who belong here. And we know, God, that you want to increase and deepen the belonging. For the person that's occasional attender, for the person that's almost connected, you want to see them connected and growing, strengthened, a part of community of believers, God doing something in their life. I pray the Holy Spirit will inspire them, not with rules and regulations, commands and demands. God, I've discovered that that doesn't really propel us with, with motivation. It's short-lived. But when we're compelled because we love you and we love others, that has a lasting impact in our lives. And I pray, God, let the Holy Spirit stir up our love for you and our love for others to get connected. That this month, the quality decision to be made to get in a life group will occur. And for many of the connected, I believe, Lord, there are many of the connected, you're talking to them about becoming a part of the core leading and being involved in a significant way. I pray, God, you just give them the, the faith, the encouragement, the strength, the, the, the uh, ability to step forward and say, God, use me. No fear, no inhibition, but to step forward and God become fruitful and become a channel of ministry to touch others. I pray that upon that. I pray that upon their family. I pray blessing upon them. And may we at Westover, every family, every person, this month, may we get on a growth pathway to grow together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for being with us. God bless you. Go in the goodness of the Lord.